This episode of the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast is brought to you by Team Link of Hooksit, New Hampshire. That's 1338 Hooksit Road in Hooksit. And their phone number is 603-641-3444. They specialize in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts, kickboxing, um, and they are, they were started, uh, Team Link was started under the tutelage of great UFC heavyweight Gabriel Gonzaga. Uh, if you mention that you heard about uh, Team Link hooks it on the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast, they will give you 30 days free of classes and also will give you a free t-shirt. Again, 30 days free of classes and a free t-shirt if you mention the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast. When you go to or call Team Link in Hooksit, we are also brought to you by Pizza 911, voted best pizza in Manchester by the Hippo Press. Uh, they've got all kinds of stuff as well as pizza. They have gluten free pizza, they've got subs, salads, breadsticks, cinnasticks, uh, all kinds of fried whatnot. Um, and they have great food there. If you mention that you heard about uh, Pizza 911 on the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast. They will give you free breadsticks. And their phone number, if you want some delivery, is 625-2201. That's in the 603 area code. 603-625-2201. He's Nicholas, and he's ridiculous. It's the Ridiculous Nicholas Show! All right. All right, episode eight of the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast. Here we are with legendary drummer Jonathan Mover. Hello. Yes, very excited here tonight. Very excited. Love the howl. Thank you. This is Howells here. (laughs) Wow. This is Howells. Hey, Lovey was pretty sexy. Don't don't underestimate her. Yeah, Ginger Marianne, she was, Lovey. She I don't know. Biggest. She was third on the list for me. No, she was the hidden wonder of that island. Really? I'm telling you, yes. Hidden wonder. <laughs> anyway. Good start. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we're here with Jonathan Mover. Played. Uh, we met. We met. I don't know. A few months ago, uh, mm-hmm. when just everyone, every drummer on the planet went down to go see Dave Maddox yes, at the Strange Brew. Yeah. It was the craziest collection of drummers I think I've ever seen in one spot yeah. at one time. I'm sure not for you. I'm sure you've seen many collections, large collections of drummers places before, but for me it was like, you know, everybody. I knew most of the guys there, yeah. uh, and so it was like, what's everybody doing here? Oh, Maddox is here. I didn't, I didn't know that he was there. I was playing around the corner, so. Buy a beer, get a free lesson. That's it. I mean, every time I see him play, it's literally a lesson. Mm, he's he's so incredible, cool. We man. interviewed him last <clears throat> week before last. He's yeah, really two cool weeks guy. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Such a sweet dude. Yeah. Yeah. You really know? Sweet. It's nice to know that, you know, people uh, that I look up to in this business are so approachable and accessible and, and uh, sweet. Well, you're you talking know? drummers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, seriously. You know, guitar players? Nah. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Right. Drummers that's, are all great. That's, that's, why, that's why this podcast is going to be only drummers. Yeah, you know. We're only drummers. I'm calling yeah. Dave Desenzo. We're going to get Desenzo oh, next week. He's a sweetheart <laughs> and a vicious drummer. Yeah, he's yeah. bad to the yeah, But you know, we we sit at the back of the stage. We don't ask for solos. We're not usually in the spotlight. So drummers are cool. It's everybody else that are the problem. Yeah, hmm? but the the most important part of the band, Except as, far as, as far as I'm course. concerned. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that's the most important part of the band. If you don't have a good drummer, I appreciate you concerned. If you don't have a good drummer, fuck your band. Yeah. You can be the best singer on the planet. It doesn't women. matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't if you can't keep it nailed down, then forget it. I agree. So uh, when we met there, I was very very excited because I was such a huge Joe Satriani fan, and I, uh, uh, Flying the Blue Dream and Surfing with the Alien. Two records that I wore out numerous mm-hmm. times, cool. and uh, and I saw you guys in Portland sometime in the whatever that was eighty nine to ninety one or somewhere in that Portland, in Maine, that. Oregon, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Oh wait a minute, yeah. we played. Hang on a minute. Um, really fantastic. Well, we played two places. One was called Starry Nights, 
which was Portland. It was, it was a really great rock club. No, and then we did like a... Schnitzer something auditorium. Yeah, it was an auditorium. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a club. Really nice like place a... downtown. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know why that's still in my head. Like, I'm looking at you like this. I can't believe you remember it's, that. You know, I was just speaking to somebody a week or so ago on one of the gigs I just did, and they said, oh, yeah, I saw you back in 19, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, right, I, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't know why. Wow, but it stuck so up there somewhere. Yeah. I can't remember anything. When we talked before, I thought it was somewhere. I thought it was a bigger auditorium, and I can't remember what it was. I, it's been so long since, you know. Yeah, Could have been. Uh, if it was Did you nine... go specifically to sorry to to Oregon to see that concert? Well, no, I lived in Oregon. Oh, okay. I lived there oh, for great. thanks. You know, for... <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. bad. Yeah, you were totally on there. <laughs> Set him up for yeah. Of course, I flew across the country to see Mover. No, forget it. Well, next next question. Okay. <laughs> lived there. Well, <laughs> just he has, a, po- he has a podcast now. Who does? Joe Satriani. Does he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. We'd probably be calling you at some point. <laughs> we got good. him first. <laughs> you want to do it? Uh, Is that what you said? No, 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 no. no. Oh. <laughs> I, I, said, I, said, I, I wouldn't know. doubt I, it. I don't fucking do that. Yeah. I don't fucking do that. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know what I said, but she knows what I said. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt mm-hmm. it. Or I wouldn't do it. That's cool. Either. Yeah. I told you before, I've never listened to a podcast. Right. Yeah. I, I've heard of them, and I'm totally up on technology. I mean, I can edit anything in Pro Tools. But I don't know half the shit that's in my iPhone. Well, that's what this is being according yeah. to Pro Tools. Yeah, but so know, I'll bounce it over to you later. Like, see, see if he's doing his job yeah, right. No, that I can help you with. <laughs> but if you you know ask me something about in you know an app or something, I'm I'm clueless. I'm obsessed with them now. Mm-hmm. That's all I listen to because I because I don't uh, you know if, I, if I'm I, I'm either listening to whatever I want to hear for music. I don't listen to the radio. If I listen to the radio, it's top. Is there to, radio anymore? Listen to NPR. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe. I don't listen to music radio. Mm -hmm. I listen to if I listen to the radio, I listen to NPR. Mm -hmm. You know, that's about it. And then I started finding that I could get NPR shows on my phone. I could go find, you know, whatever. Yeah, I need to figure this out because I don't. It's it's really easy if you have an iPhone. You can you can go right in, download the program for podcasts, and go find the podcast that you like. I listen to a lot of ones with comedians. Yeah, those are great. Um, The best ones are when it's it's a comedian that hosts the show. And then he gets another comedian on, and then they talk shit about being comic. Those are the best ones because it gives you like a real insight to what it's like being a real serious professional comic Mm. and how much shit work they had to do. You know, it's supposed to. I actually I dated one for a while. It's supposed to be like the bottom of the barrel and the most difficult of the arts to get into. Yeah, and she definitely. She worked her ass off, but it was hard. It's I mean, really hard really, for I women. Admire it. I really admire yeah. it because you don't, unlike <clears throat> being like a musician, mm-hmm. you can practice in your house and get fairly good before you go do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to fall on your face a little, but as a comedian, You've you go and you, you absolutely fall on your face in front of people yeah. many times oh, yeah. before your craft becomes something, if you last. I just, I admire, I'm a huge fan of comedians. I admire it so much yeah. because when they become these <clears> greats, it's like, yeah, Unlike us, we can kind of like cover it up a little bit. Hey, speak for yourself. Oh. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot easier to get over as a musician, too. Oh. It's a lot easier to get over as a musician than it is a comic. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you don't. You well, have to get again, every... speak for yourself. You know, drummers, <laughs> when we blow it, everybody knows it. Guitar players are playing jazz, you know? Right. I mean, but when we blow it, we really blow it, you know? So. <laughs> well, I, 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 find it hard to believe that you've blown it in a long time. Well, you know, I wasn't speaking to myself. I was talking to <laughs> me as a community. But, no, I, I, I have my little blunders now and again, sure. You know? Now, you lived in London. Because I play jazz. You lived in London for a while. I did. And I hear you have a little bit of a British accent every once in a while. It comes out. So I've been told. But yeah. I still don't have Oz. Yeah. You still because don't? they're arbitrary when you live in New England. They are. Yeah, you're from fucking Peabody, dude. I'm from Peabody, but I drive... you don't have fucking eyes, I know. I drive a car. I park in the garage. (laughs) Fucking right, you do. Not the garage. (laughs) Right. No, 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 you don't. No. No, Lori. Yeah, but uh, that's where I met Maddox. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I had just... Oh, I don't remember who I got a gig with. Uh, Oh, maybe Marillion. And... um, Zildjian Peisty actually had approached me first, which, strangely enough, I ended up with in the long run because I always played them from the beginning. But at the time that I uh, got my first big gig over there, 
I was really into Gad and Simon Phillips and Andy Newmark and Maddox and a bunch of those guys. So I ended up saying no to Paiste and I and went to Zildjian. So they invited me down to, uh, they had an office at Windsor Castle. And I went down there. Huh. Yeah, not in the castle, but, you know. <laughs> like, what? Yes, you know, you took the train down to Windsor Castle, <laughs> stop, and then, okay. yeah. And so I showed up, and the guy that was there to sign me, Colin Schofield, said, uh, you know, have a seat, grab a coffee, I need a few more minutes, I'm in the back with another one of our Zildjian artists, Dave Maddox. And I lost it. You know, I had hair down on my ass. I think I, I had a lot of earrings at the time, probably had a black leather on, and I didn't look like a nice guy. Um, and I, I said to Colin, oh, I've got to meet Maddox. I've got to meet him. He's one of my heroes. He's a god. And, you know, Davey's tiny guy, very unassuming. He kind of looks like a little English doctor with his glasses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's so sweet. And he came out, and uh, Colin introduced me to him, and I said, oh, my God, I'm such a fan, you know, I go, rah, 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 rah. and I think I scared him. And, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he basically said, are you sure you know who I am? And I said, oh, yeah, I got her. and that was it. We became friends and, and we're very, very good buds now all these years. That's great. Right. Yeah. Are you sure you know who I am? Yeah. Check. Uh, yeah. He did. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I why would this rock drummer know who this folk drummer is? But, I, no, he's a, he's a monster. Well, he's more than a folk drummer. He's, yeah. I mean, he just well, does true. so much. Yeah. He's, you know? yeah, he's played with uh, two of the four Beatles and oh God, Elton, right? everybody. Yeah. yeah, You did some stuff with Elton too, right? I did. Actually, I did. Um, I ended up playing on a remake of Island Girl, which ended up as a commercial. Oh. So <laughs> it was for Elton, but it was uh, it ended up as a commercial for something in England. Oh. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Jingle I had, I, yes, exactly. Yeah. I had heard. Uh, uh, do you know? You know Brad Helene? No. Bass player. He plays for. Um, plays for Duke Robillard right now. I know Duke. You know Duke? Yeah, sure. Um, so he plays with him. He's he's done a million. He's been in a million different bands with Roomful of Blues for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, he was in what was that? Oh, what was that band in the '90s? That was like an industrial band. Uh, they out were of, like out of Boston. No, oh. they were out of Texas, um, and they were like, um, oh, I can't, uh, not Tempest. What was the band that he was in? What was the what was the industrial band that that Helene was in? I'm trying. I know to you know it, joke here, but I, I can't come up with anything. Too. Anyways, I, anyways, like, so he was telling me a story that Dave Maddox told him, and then I I was relayed the story to Maddox last week, and he didn't remember it, but. The story, the story was. Maybe I told Dave, what is uh, it? Right. <laughs> the story was, uh, Maddox was doing some, like, little, little jazz gig in some little club in New York, and this guy came in that was a huge fan of Fairport Convention, and, and he was looking, and he was looking at the guy, and he was looking, and he, then he went over on the break, and he, he came up to whoever this guy was, and he said, Hey, has anybody ever told you that you look like Dave Maddox? And he's like, yeah, I've heard that before. And then nothing. Yeah. But that was the, the beauty of it was yeah, I can never, see. was never, you never know, went that any was, further. right, that I, was the Maddox. I, that I, was, I you can know, see him doing that. Like just, yeah. just, just didn't, that was the, the, the part of the joke was I never told him. And then, you know, as the, as the night went on at the end of the Somebody night, announced the, him the guy that. announced him and the guy <laughs> like lost his shit. He's like, God, oh, I just did Yeah. But when I told this story back two weeks ago, he's like, I, Oh, yeah. Didn't remember it at all. It was like yeah. it was awesome. <laughs> awesome. Imagine having that many stories in your life that when. when it's that funny you can lose. I need all the funny stories I can get. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on. We it. had some before we started the podcast, but yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know if the, I don't know if the, many of those were suitable for uh, probably not. for the general public to get, hear. But get me in trouble. That's right. <laughs> get all of us in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at. Uh, at Drumhead Magazine today, and the only, it goes as far as, as nine issues. Is that as is that as far as it's gone, or is there are there more issues than that? Um, we're just about to put out fifty. Fifty. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure where you've been doing your research, but well, it was on Drumhead website. It only went to nine. Yeah. No, no, maybe no. I had to, maybe I just didn't go to the next page. Yeah, I think you've or oh, okay. scroll way yeah. down oh. the bottom. Yeah, no, I'm actually oh, this week I. I Send to the printer number fifty. Oh, yeah. beautiful! January will be ten years. No yeah. shit. Yeah. And the so the uh, I was looking. The first one 
had God smack on it. It did. It had yeah. a, a double cover of uh, of both guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Sully Lisa, and Lisa uh, just just got off the road last year. He, she did two a thing years. with so was it two years ago? Yeah. With Sully, he did a, a solo project called Avalon, and she was the second lead singer in that. Cool. Who was the first? He, him. Oh well, then you were the first female singer in that. Correct. Come on, get it straight. Well, it was like a, it was a very outside the box kind of thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. God's Mackey at all. It was very, yeah. both Sully and I loved a band called Dead Can Dance. Mm, sure. We're both huge yeah. fans. And so he kind of came to me, had the, you know, a solo, a solo record written into his contract and mm-hmm. he asked me, he said, you know, do you want to do this with me? I want to do that male female energy thing. Cool. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, but I want to make sure it's very outside all the lot. So it ended up being like an eight piece band, two percussionists and one of the percussionists from Dead Can Dance came on. Oh, wonderful. Recorded with us and a celloist. It's pretty cool. Cool. Pretty yeah, he's cool. an extremely talented guy. I think I've seen I've seen the, that picture up in his house on the wall. The one that you were talking about your first magazine. I think I've seen that up on his wall. Oh yeah, the cover. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That dude's cool. a monster. Shannon's a monster. Shannon. Yeah. He's ridiculous. So great to watch. When, when you guys, when they did, uh, when they did your benefit, that's I was just watching him the whole he's time. He's crazy. He's hard not to watch. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. hard. Very visual. He looks like a praying mantis back there. It's mm-hmm. really crazy. You can't. It's just these things. Yeah, they're just like these. Like, make sure they're, you don't they're sleep so with him. tiny. No, they're so thin. Okay. Don't have that. What's that? Don't have any of that. Make sure you don't sleep don't, with him. Don't sleep with him. Oh. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll do my yeah, best. Try not to. Do, he's out of the loop. He's, a, <laughs> he's very convincing, but I, got it. I didn't mean that. I got, I got it. Okay. We'll be over here. <laughs> but anyway, yes, there are fifty issues so coming up. Nice. Yeah. In ten years, you've been doing that. Yes. Wow. And do you have? A, is there like a? Do you have a big fiftieth issue? That's. Um. No, actually, I didn't even really think about that. It's just. Just you know, another one. Just another one. one. Yeah, I mean, each nice. one is monumental in its own way. Um, it must no. be a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of time. Yeah, it's not a lot of work. It's very easy to do. Um, you know, it's uh, it's just the time to put into it. I mean, the computer does everything. Yeah, you know, I learned InDesign, which is the program by Adobe. Okay. Yeah. You know, taught myself most of everything that's in there. Um, I really? can't. Even... So you do the layout for the magazine too? Oh, yeah. I do about no 90 percent of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but it's because uh, I'm a control freak. I've yeah. hired other people <laughs> to do things, and I don't like what they, they do, or I ask them to do something, and they say, "Oh, we can't do that. It's not possible." And so then I figured out it was possible, so I do it on my own. Right. Yeah, but I do have help. I have uh, an amazing managing editor who lives in LA, and she handles all the business end of it, distribution, print runs subscriptions and stuff like that and I have an art director who's kind of a part-timer that does some things that I don't either know how to do or I can't do he's a great illustrator and I can't draw a crooked line forget a straight yeah, one yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know he knows that stuff but everything else is on me nice. what made yeah. you decide to do it um, I didn't really um, it was kind of like owning a studio in New York it just fell in my lap um, the short story is a uh, a business team approached me, um, one American, one European, because they wanted to start a publishing company in the States, and they thought the uh, music, and they thought the easiest way to go would be to start with drums, because there were too many bass and guitars and uh, stuff like that. And unbeknownst to me, you know, we met up and they asked me what I thought of the American drum magazine market. I told them exactly what I thought of it. Which and, was? Um, that they suck, basically. <laughs> and I didn't read them because they weren't really either giving intelligent information or giving honest information. You know, they yeah. were really painting a picture that just wasn't true. Yeah, yeah. And so I said to them, if I was ever going to do a magazine, I would tell the truth about the industry. Yeah. You know, I mean, the good and the bad. Uh, because there is a pretty big ugly side to it that a lot of people don't know about. And if you know the ugly side, you don't run away from it, but you at least know how to approach it when you get there. You know, I mean, how many people turn on TV like we all did as kids, and you see some kid playing on TV and you say, oh, he must be a multimillionaire. And then the next thing you know, you're 15 years in the business, you're on gold and platinum records, and you don't, you know, you're struggling to pay your rent. Yeah. So amongst other things, you know, drugs, everything. So I gave them my idea in a nutshell, which was off the top of my head. And then they came back about a week later and said, um, we'd like to do this and we'd like you to be the editor-in-chief, to which I politely declined and said, I don't know anything about publishing. I'm just a drummer. No, thank you. But you can pay me as a creative consultant and I'll help whoever you get. 
and about five or six months went by where they were interviewing editors and people and they kept on calling me back and the main guy was a German um, publisher and uh, I finally said you know just fly me to Munich and let me spend a week in your facility and I'll go department to department and see exactly how in one week you put together a magazine and at the end of the ma at the end of the week I'll either do it for you or I'll find somebody to do it and at the end of the week it just looked like it was pretty easy to do so I did it and it's gone through three transformations. The first one was these original owners, and then one of them was removed, and then it was myself and one of the other owners, and he's removed, and now it's just me. I'm the sole owner. Yeah, and it's one man much, wrecking crew. Much better and doing really, really well. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's a great yeah. story. Hmm. I like how it just fell into your lap. It did, yeah. I mean... You're supposed to do it. Yeah. Hey, but we'd this, like you to do this for us. Hey... Now all of a sudden it's your thing. Yeah. Well, you not know? without its, you know, You're right. its left, you know. When did it become all yours? About a year ago. Right, so yeah. nine years of yeah. yeah, nine years of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I didn't realize it had been around that long. That's so great. Yeah, I know, it flies. I, I couldn't believe it either. Yeah, when we when we put out next January, February, will be ten years from the Godsmack issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So let me ask you from that 10 years, you say you talk about the industry and how it works and everything. It's changed so much in mm -hmm. the last 10 years. What are you writing about now? Are you writing about all this? Like we talked about it with Maddox. Um, him and I were so on the same page with like, you know, Pandora and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I wanted to do a story on Spotify, Pandora. Mm -hmm. um, what's the other one that, uh, not iTunes, but there's one more out there and, they wouldn't speak to us, you know, because we obviously want to know how the artists are really getting paid. Yeah. yeah. And it's once again just another formula of bullshit for artists, really. It is. Um, I love Taylor Swift that she pulled out and said, I'm not, you know, going to release this on iTunes or whatever it was, or Pandora, or Spotify, one of them. Um, it's not so much my perspective, because I haven't been interviewed, but it's it's much more a conversation between, you know, myself and the person that I'm speaking to, um, or one of my freelance writers. But most of the people really talk more about how they have fit into, you know, the, the changes and how they've maintained what they're doing. And as we all know, drummers are usually not the ones that are dealing with publishing or running a band or most of the writing and copyright. So a lot of what you're talking about, which is definitely an interest and prevalent today, isn't necessarily what comes up most of the time. Right, right. It's, you know, it's more like survival and the ups and downs of the industry, where the money came from before, from labels for this where it doesn't come now, some people are getting it from an, of a, a different place. How to stretch it and make it, you know, go further. Um, how to capitalize on things now that you were doing twenty years ago that you weren't thinking about. Mm. It's kind of all all of that stuff. Mm. But my the magazine is long form, which there's no other like it. Um, my average cover interview is sixteen to twenty pages long. With really? oh yeah, with no ads in the middle of it. There's no filler. Wow. Um, it's funny because the the German guy that started the magazine is the biggest independent music book and magazine publisher in Germany. And so he left me on my own for a few months to get the first issue together. And then he very um, happily and proudly jumped on a flight to come over to New York about three days before I was going to press. So he, we had it running out of my studio in New York. So he came into Skyline and took a look at the layout in the computer and basically said, You've done it all wrong. You can't go to print. And I politely said, I quit. Goodbye. Because <laughs> when he asked me to do it, I said, I'm not going to do a repeat of anything else that's out there because I don't like what's out there. Why should I just do, you know, a new version of such and such? And the, the three things that he told me I couldn't do, which I did do and which everybody loves is I don't break up any of my interviews at all. So, you read into three pages and it's not, you know, uh, flip back to page 79. Yeah. It's all right there, you know. Yeah. I don't break up any of the interviews with ads and stuff like that unless there's a company that's completely directly affiliated with that guy right. and it has to do, you know, with, with the layout. Um, and also, I, I put the the first and, dare I say, most important, the cover feature, in the beginning of the magazine. Yeah. And, you know... 
all of the things that I didn't like about a magazine, I didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's that simple. And oh, it's, that's great. it's doing really well. So, yeah, and it's successful. It doesn't have to be yeah. everything else to yeah. be successful. And the other magazines that have seen what I've done have little by little started to change as much as they can. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Terry Bozio, my interview with him was nine and a half hours. We um, we we spoke over a weekend at the DW factory out in Oxnard, California, and um, his cover feature was 26 pages long. Holy Maddox God. and I spoke for about three and a half hours, and I think Dave's was about 22, 23 pages. Simon oh, Phillips and I spoke for six hours. Keltner I had for four hours one day. So, I mean, you know, to, for me to go and open up a magazine with one of my heroes on the cover, and just find out about the record they just did, what size bass drum they're using, and you know why they chose the color of that kit is so not important to me. <laughs> and so those are the things that we really don't cover. Right. We really we talk about everything about the real life of that person, right down to like you know marriages and divorces and drug habits, alcoholism, uh, losing a gig, you know, um, finding out that somebody else replaced you and you don't even know that you've been removed from the record. The stuff that nobody will ever talk about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these guys, my my peers as well as my heroes, talk about it with me because they know that I've witnessed the same type of thing. Going through the same yeah. stuff. Yeah. So it's 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 cool. And again, it's not work at all. But you don't have to twist my arm to go hang with Jim Keltner. For yeah, four right. Hours. Of course. You know? I mean, <laughs> right. it's, it's the perfect, you know, backstage pass to all of my heroes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So for selfish reasons, I'm totally into it. Right. Well, yeah. that's that's one of the selfish reasons for me doing this podcast yeah. is I get to hang out with you know people that I really admire, and mm -hmm. it gives me a it gives me a you know instead of just going, hey, would you like to come over for a barbecue, which which you nobody know, will because I'm working. Right. I'm working. Right. I'm doing this, but you know, right. Yeah. It gives people an opportunity to you know talk about any you know, projects that they're doing, or right. you know promote any shows that they have coming up, or or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully it's a hopefully it's a will be a symbiotic thing where it's you know not just something that's you know benefits us, it benefits the people that everyone that's coming on the show. You yeah, know, it gives, sure. Gives introduces you to people that maybe don't know who you are. Right. Introduces. Your fans to us, and yeah. then maybe they'll, they'll go, oh. And you're know. giving me a platform to, you know, talk about interesting things, or. Well, the thing that know. I've loved that, that's come about for us is how, um, you know, like Maddox and yourself. It doesn't matter what level we start talking musically as like artists, and how it's all really the same. Mm -hmm. Like you were just talking about someone who's you know toured with whoever for however long and was on this record, platinum record, and yet when that's all said and done, they're they're a drummer. Mm -hmm. And how are you how are you going to pay your mortgage for the next six months that Alton John's not touring right now mm -hmm. and you play drums with him? So yeah. so we get in these really great um, artists kind of conversations, and it's really cool to find out that we're all so exactly alike. Mm -hmm. And it's such a it's such a great vibe to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think that that our fan base will start to dig it. Yeah, and I mean, I think the bottom line to all of it is just how much, I know speaking for myself, I'm probably speaking for the three of us, is how much you just love to do oh what we do. Um, you know, it's great to go on the road and make, you know, seven grand a week sometimes with wonderful artists, but I, I don't say no to $25 gigs for taxi fare if I like the music and I want to play. Right. You know? Well, that's that's the thing was... that we kind of talk about, that yeah. it's, it's like, it's great, and we have to make money to make a living if mm -hmm. you're making a living of it as a musician. And uh, but it's it's that thing that it's such a difficult life at times, mm -hmm. but you can't let go of it. Right. You go well, whatever. I'm just going to keep pushing forward and, it, and waiting for that thing. And, and and it's difficult on both sides of oh, the fence yeah. because there's the monetary side of yeah. having you know to struggle to do what you do to make a living, and then there's the other side of it who where you're just dying to play, and That's sometimes right. you don't have the opportunities that That's you want right. to have. You know, so and the nice thing which you were saying about the you know, where we are today technologically with the advent of technology of the internet and everybody's got pro tools in their laptops and stuff like that. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make a lot of money from it. Hopefully you will, but you at least now have an opportunity to do some things that you didn't or couldn't afford to do before. And again, I'm not necessarily speaking for myself, but for anybody that couldn't go into Skyline Studios or East West or the Hit Factory, you know, you can actually do great records in your house. And you know what? Even if it's not unbelievable sounding, or by unbelievable I mean wonderful sounding, it might be great music. Mm -hmm. You know, because well, you used to you used to have to get to used to have to 
someone had to tell you you were, you know, you used to have to get that that from someone else. Someone had to had to go, oh, you're great. We're going to bring you into this situation right, right. where now yeah. you're making this great That's record right. yeah. or do, even a podcast. Though it would a, be... A radio station would have to go, hey, we like you. Yeah, so we'll accept... Come, please come, please right. come do yeah. a radio show on right. our radio yeah. station. Yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to do yeah. that. But you on the just, other hand, it would be nice if there was a bit of a filter out there because there is, yes. a, there is a, <laughs> lot <laughs> of, <laughs> a lot of shit. Certainly a lot of shit, yeah. It kind of, you know, it all... Goes hand in hand, but as far as you know, people making music and getting their voice out there, it doesn't have to be stellar, and it doesn't have to cost, you know, four hundred thousand dollars to make a record, and it shouldn't, right. you know. And I think that's the thing about the '80s and the '90s that a lot of people look back now, artists, and they're bitter because they don't have. 300 grand to make a record. What the fuck did you need $300,000 to make? And I was, not me personally, but I played in plenty of bands that wasted that money. You know? And it's just, it's a waste. And that is part of what ruined the industry. It's not just the major labels. Everybody was guilty. Everybody, you know, put their hands in the pie and ate as much as they could. It's just that when they had to pay part of it back, there was a problem. You know? But it didn't stop them from eating. Right. Um, you, you know, sure you know, it seemed like there was no end to that money that it was easy to do that, you know? Well, that's just it. And, you know, and that's the old carrot that the, the major label would dangle in front of your mm-hmm. face because, you know, they would want you to spend more money because signing a record deal is like taking the worst bank loan you could ever yeah, take. Yeah, nobody thought of it like yeah, that. I, I got a record deal and I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know you're going to have to pay that back. Right. If it doesn't fly, mm-hmm. you're paying all of that back. Right. That's but, crazy. If there was more education or the lawyers weren't in the middle yeah. of both sides, you know, some people would have said, you know, you don't have to take all of that. You actually can only take this. You don't need that advance. And, you know, right. you don't have to, you know, try to knock those reasonable reserves down and all of the things that were hidden in the gray areas of a contract that the artist who just wants to play because they love it never learned, you know, um, what that stuff was. Right. Yeah. It's only until your first, you know, time you're really bent over when you call your lawyer and say, hang on a minute, I just sold, you know, 1.8 million and I owe the record company how many hundreds of thousands? Yeah. And that's when the guy says, well, your clause, you know, reasonable reserves, they took that much and they put it towards your losses of the next record. And you say, wait a minute, I didn't do the next record. I know, but if your next record does lose, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you've yeah. got to learn about what's going on out there. And, and the cool thing of this generation, I teach at Berkeley now and what I'm really seeing is that, um, these kids are so savvy with Pro Tools and mm-hmm. stuff that they're really, they have that thing that that I didn't, that we didn't when we were younger. I mean, I was so psyched when I got a little four track, you know. Fostex X15. Yes, I had one. Yes, so did I. just start making yeah. a little drum machine and start making little beds, yeah. you know. Um, these kids are pretty savvy with this stuff and they're just making music and putting mm-hmm. up their YouTube channels and kind of making it happen and being really creative. There's mm-hmm. a really good side to that, I think. I'm really seeing that being there at Berkeley and watching these kids really... Mm-hmm come into their own with it. I think there probably are a few artists out today that don't have major label deals that are doing quite well. Mm-hmm. But I know for me, um, my generation, which I think I'm older than you guys, but in the last 25, 30 years, I think I am, um, Annie DeFranco was the only one who uh, completely did it. it. Absolutely. When everybody was record deal record, she yeah. was like this. I got it. I'm right. just going to tour and I'm going to do this yeah. thing. And she yeah. did it. But I know there's a band... It's, and forgive me for not knowing everybody that's out there, but I think there's a band from Boston, maybe two brothers and somebody else, who hasn't signed a major label deal, but I know they play Boston Garden and they sell out Madison Square Garden. Oh. It's a one-word name, and I'm not remembering who it is. But there's a few people out there I've heard that... Huh. They're, a, they're a current band? They're a current band, and they were somebody was telling me about them like a year ago, that they had sold out MSG. And I said, uh, really? You know, never heard of them before. And then they would say, oh, yeah, they're, I think they're from Boston. Hmm. And um, Great story. i got to find a... Yeah, it, it's back here somewhere. It'll, some things will come to me. And, but anyway, it's still not where, it, you know, where everybody thinks it is. I mean, any kid, whether they're at Berkeley or not, that thinks, oh, I'm going to write a song, put it on YouTube, yeah. and it's going to go viral, and I'm going to be a millionaire. No. Again... That's the type of stuff that we talk about in the magazine because it's not reality. No, that's not Could right. it happen? Yeah. yeah. But is it likely to? No. So make sure you look at the big picture and right. you know all of the facets of you know what you're what you're getting into. 
But from our generation, Dis- you know, the Trump- Dis- dysfunction, dis d d construction d something. The name of the band starts with a D, huh. and it's one word. Shame on you guys! You're from Boston. We all, look, we all look at Carl. Let's go, Sullivan. <laughs> Dyslexic. Dis- D- okay, anyway, huh. it's uh, it's 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 coming. It's coming. I've got one. Oh man, I can't think of it right now. Not defunct. Yeah. Great, great funk band, but not defunct. Anyway. No. no. Well, but I think it. back, like from our generation, like if for me the path that I took and the way that I did it. When did you graduate high school? Two thousand two. Nineteen eighty one. Oh, we are the same age. Oh, <laughs> how cool! Me. I think you look better than me. Oh, no, you don't. Yeah. So, um, where did you go to school? I went in a little suburb called in Pemberton, New Hampshire. It's like Pembroke. near Fairland, mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. tiny suburb. Mm-hmm. That's near Concord. Yeah, it's in between yeah. Concord and Manchester. Got it. Yeah. Um, if I had that. You know, that whole thing. I, you know, I, I think that I agree with you. And, you know, a kid thinks he writes a song and puts it on YouTube and he thinks it's mm-hmm. a big thing. But I think that it has such a great part of it. If when I was a kid, I had that thing. It's an, oh, um, my God. It's a great platform. I agree. The thing that I, that I think is really bad about it mm-hmm. is when somebody puts something up in, um, prematurely, mm-hmm. you know, First impression is the most important. Yeah, right. You put something up that, you know, you're not ready to put up, you're never going to get rid of that. And, you know, I've got a lot of people that will say to me, because of the magazine, you know, I've become kind of the center of the drum part of, a center of the drum community. And I'll get these emails that say, oh man, you gotta check out this drummer. He's, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's got, you know, 19 million hits or whatever. And I watch the thing, and he sucks. Mm. You know? <laughs> but he's, got all you know he's playing to some you know music minus drums but he's speeding up he's slowing down he's made a mistake and he doesn't realize it because he's not there yet and the yeah. 19 million little 15 year olds don't realize it either right, but know. imagine the imagine the 25 year old guitar player who heard about this kid that is going to look at him because maybe he's worth hiring that kid is scarred for life mm-hmm. yeah. in my opinion i mean that's what i see as the detrimental side to youtube um, yeah. is that a lot of people do put things up that just shouldn't be put up yet. And that was the nice thing about, you know, the labels or the producers many years ago saying, oh, there's some potential there, but, you know, come back to me in a couple of years or go work with, you know, somebody and bring a demo back. And then that producer kicks the shit out of the band and says, hey, drummer, you're speeding up, you're slowing down. Right. Vocalist, you're flat in the tail ends of your of your lines. You know, guitar player, you're rushing. And nobody seems to really learn that anymore. And that's the thing that I miss because talking about the X-15, I'll never forget when I bought mine at EU Wurlitzer and (laughs) brought it home and I had my my little band in Peabody and we recorded and we heard ourselves back on tape for the first time. I was horrified at how bad I was. I thought I just played my ass off, but the song went from 92 to 108 in yeah, three and a half yeah, minutes yeah. because we were all so excited. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people don't have that, you know, that anymore um, because the person that has the Pro Tools rig, as you probably know, is the person that writes everything. Mm-hmm. And drum machine and samples and, and you know, synth bass and, and mm-hmm. everything replaces everybody now. I know, it's awful. Yeah, and it seems that everything is everything is style over substance these days too. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. that, you know, yeah. the, the the well, music the, has always been fashion, yeah. and they really have. They, they, even, they, they even go more so. Hand. Yeah, it seems even more so now. It's just like, what can it look like? What can it? Mm-hmm. What can I? What can I make it appear to be? Right. Not you know this that drummer. Yeah. He has 15 million hits because there's 15 million kids that don't know shit about it. They just go, wow, he's just going all over the place on the drums. Right. He must know what he's doing because he can go, you know. Which is no different than seeing 90% of the artists that are on Saturday Night Live that are singing to backing tracks or can't right. sing at all. Ugh. You know, but they're gorgeous. Right. You know, so right. do you buy the record to listen to it or do you just look at the cover and you want to... Jump on it, you know? So let's go back in time when we were young mm-hmm. and there was none of this media, right. right? And we went to record stores. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> and we bought records. I remember like getting my very first, it might have been even Heart, and the record opened up and it had like yeah. live shots. Do you and remember the smell? The smell. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was just like this. Yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. that's what they look like. You know, right. you just, you were so excited for that whole experience. That well, it if, didn't matter what people looked like. Yeah. We, it, what mattered was right. what it was sounding like. Yeah. But you That's, also, it was multidimensional with our senses. 
You, yes. you know, you held it. Yes. You saw it. You smelled, smelled it. it. You know, if it was really good, you'd taste it. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a whole process. It was that Rolling Stone album you wanted to zip it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there, there were really cool things going on, you know? And now you don't have There's any There's a really of cool thing about that simplicity. Absolutely. Within, like you just said, all the senses come out. And isn't yeah. that really what music's all about? We're just, just energy. We're creating this thing. And it was mm-hmm. really part of it. Yeah. And, and all this great technology has, I believe, taken that away from these last two generations mm-hmm. where they don't have that thing we had. And even when we were kids, like you said, we recorded ourselves and we went like, oh, my God, we suck. We were honest with ourselves. We grew up in a different time. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't have parents behind us going, you know, I'll get to the space and we'll pay for everything for you and we'll do all this. And we think you're right. great. We did it all on our own. And mm-hmm. we, As a matter of fact, we the parents perfected. usually did the opposite oh because they knew, they yeah, knew how to do it. Knock that noise off. That's yeah. right. Or, you know, you're not going to be able to make a living, so go to right. school. Go to school. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, knock that nonsense off instead yeah. of, you know what I mean? Right. Like, you're not practicing here. You better find somewhere yeah. else to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of, oh, let, let me make my snacks for everybody. You right. know what I mean? It's just a very different time, and I think it made us better artists. I think we worked harder at it, and we wanted to be better. Like, I don't think, I think YouTube existed then for both you and I, I would have never put anything on premature. I would have been a perfectionist in my room, fixing it and let everybody I knew that was worthy listen to it before I put it on. But everybody's everybody's a winner now. There's nobody nobody does anything wrong. Nobody does anything wrong. And that's the type of thing that when when the coach tells you that in high school, he's fucking you. Yeah. You know, because everybody's a winner. Everybody does good. Everybody does good. You sounded great. You sounded great. You should put that on YouTube. You should be on Metal. Yeah. Everyone's the best now, right. so that's why there's no, there's not, there's a whole lack of reverence for but, the live music. But and the thing is, we can look at that, we can differentiate because we experienced it. Right. You can't talk to a kid who's twelve or fifteen that doesn't know what it's like to have vinyl. Yeah, he doesn't right. know what he's missing, so he doesn't care about it. He doesn't care at all. Yeah, but what he cares about is getting the music for free. And having the next new iPhone that has everything in it yep. oh, that yeah. can do all of these things for his ADD, which lasts 15 seconds. Oh, my yeah. God, it's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, they can't be inside a moment it's, at all. It's crazy, you know. Can I tell you, I had the most surreal experience when you were talking about getting that heart record. <laughs> and I remember going into the store we and buying that. the cassette tape mm-hmm. of Surfing with the Alien. Oh, really? <laughs> and I was like, wait. I had that. It was surfing with the alien. Wait a second. Wait a second. This is so fucking bizarre. We all did it, though. That's because we came yeah. from that. We all did it. You said it even before I said you go, and then you smelled it. I was just yeah. about to say, and then the smell that came off of it. the other thing is, if, if you were into the band, you bought their records that sucked as well. Damn I mean, straight. I do have and Yes's Tomato. <laughs> I do. Which one? I have Tomato by Yes. Okay. And even Steve Howe doesn't have a copy of it. But, you know, I, I bought every Yes record, every ELP, Genesis, Jethro Tull, Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. And, yeah. You know, I loved Coda. Everybody hated Coda. I loved it. I love Coda. Well, Coda's just leftovers, but yeah, of course it's but great. great. Yeah. Oh, Darlene. Are you kidding me? Darlene, that's a fucking great song. Wearing and Tearing? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. But no matter what, you were, you felt like you were a part of the band. Mm-hmm. Not literally in there, but every, you wanted to know everything about them. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, it's all cyclical. We're going to go back to singles. We, we and, are, I said that the other, these people, these kids buying one song. Yeah. And I go, wow, that's kind of like the 50s and 60s. But that's, the singles. but we need to stop thinking that we way do. now if you want to be a part of it. We because do. why else, why do you want to go and spend, well, it's this, the dichotomy here is okay. You've got a, eleven great tunes. Of course, you think they are, and you want to put them out. But is it worth putting the money into the ten that people don't care about and aren't going to listen to? It's a tough call. It is, you know. But the sad thing is, like you just said, you bought all of those records, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you didn't love all of the songs, we're going back to that moment where you say, like these kids have this ADD in their fifteen seconds. We weren't like that. Right. We were like, I'm gonna listen to this mm-hmm. till I get it and I love all of it. Mm-hmm. And you tear it apart and you go, well, that's why this is like this. They were just trying to do this. Whatever you come up with, we stayed inside it because it was important to us mm-hmm. to stay inside it. These kids don't have that. And anymore. you took the album as a whole because a whole. the artist was giving you a, whole, a whole record. Right. There was a well, that was their whole vision of it. Exactly. It's not. It's not. We're not just giving you p- different pieces that don't relate to each other. Yeah. Here's a right. whole. Right. Here's something as a whole. Yeah. And well, that's not, what we did with Avalon. Literally, when Sal came to me, said, "I want to do this project with you and do kind of a dead can dance thing," 
And I want I want us to because it was just written into his contract. It didn't have to be a hit. So, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Great, which is great. Yeah, yeah. But that's but a nice cushion to have. It was a beautiful cushion. Yeah. So he goes, let's just write like it was like a, remember the Pink Floyd records, man. You just put it on and. And From the beginning to the away. end, and you didn't let anybody interrupt you. Right. You absorbed the whole experience. He goes, let's try it. Yeah. I don't know if we could do it, but let's give it a shot. And we did. Mm-hmm. We wrote it from the beginning to the end. And mm-hmm. if you if you take it as a whole, yeah. you travel on this little yeah. bit of a musical journey. Yeah, you don't get that. If you didn't go anymore. anywhere. Right. No, <laughs> but well, but... Why would it? Yeah. Because we wrote nine-minute right. songs. Exactly. There was a nine-minute song. Yeah. There was a seven-minute song. We didn't care. We yeah. we kept the integrity of what we thought it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing experience to be able to do that. And we did tour it for a little bit, mm-hmm. small theaters. Mm-hmm. And everybody's experience... Was a great one, I'm sure. ...walked away yeah. with like, I have not seen a show. Like, we didn't speak in between songs. It was very theatrical. Mm-hmm. It was it was prompted by video, um, you know, for yeah. segues. That's why I like Tool so much. Aside from their music, if you've ever seen them live, it's an absolutely visual experience. Yeah, Maynard a is a genius, yeah. you know? Yeah. But like, you know, when... I remember when I was a kid, distinctly. I mean, I used to listen to... WFNX, and mm-hmm. before that there was WCOZ and WBCN, mm-hmm. and before that there was AMWMEX. Well, MEX was the hipper, RKO was a little too square, but, right, very you know, but way back. And when you heard a single, it wasn't for you to like just listen to the single. That was the door that was yes. open for you to buy the record, yes. right? And then you, you know, you checked it all out. And you always like the other songs more than the single. Usually, yeah. yeah. And and you know what? It's funny. I was. Again, just speaking to somebody about this about a week ago, um, I can't remember. The The interesting thing is you'd hear something on the radio, and you're right, the rest of the record was much better because yeah. I wasn't into the pop shit. But now if I do hear something that catches my ear, it's the best thing. And the rest yes. of the record is usually shit. Crap. Yeah. And me so I don't, so I don't even know why some people are putting out 10 and 11 songs on a record because they don't have the 10 great songs anymore. Right. The last... Great record that I heard as a whole. I don't know if you know who they are. Is a, is a young band out of L.A. called Dead Sarah. Mm-mm. And I'm crazy about this band. They just put their second record out. And I haven't heard it yet. But if you have the opportunity to check out the first record, Dead Sarah, it's Emily Armstrong is the lead singer and the writer. And then there's a female guitar player and then a male rhythm section. And their first record is just killing. Cool. I yeah. love it. I can check listen to the first song to the last song and I don't skip any. Oh, that's great. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Now, I hope the second record is as good as the first because it came out within two years. But, mm, yeah. yeah. See, that's a lot of pressure too. I remember know. when there was all kinds yeah. of time? Yeah, but remember when the Beatles put out eight records in a year? I mean, you know, <laughs> shit was just flowing out of those oh, guys. Yeah. Every time they picked up an instrument to open their mouth. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. All of it. it wasn't, there was no crap. Right, exactly. Crazy. Are you doing it? Do you have any recording stuff coming up? Or are you doing any, do you have any projects that are working on right now? Yeah, quite a few things if I can remember them all. Um, I did a couple of records with uh, the Italian offshoot guys from, you might not know, but there was a very big Italian progressive rock band in the 70s and 80s called PFM. Um, they were signed to ELP's label, Manticore, so I just did two records with them. Um, was been working with Eddie Kramer, the producer for a young artist in LA, LA that just got signed named Jared James Nichols. Um, last week or two weeks ago in LA, I was recording with um, Marcus Machado, a great guitar player. Very Hendrixy, cool. um, yeah, a bunch of different things. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but I'm pretty Beautiful. busy. Yeah, biscuit. Yeah, <laughs> biscuit. I couldn't Wunder. say that better myself. Wunder biscuit. I have to ask you because I'm. We all are such huge Aretha Franklin fans, but you worked with Aretha. I did, yes. Mm-hmm. And one of the best experiences of my life. Really? Yeah, when was this? Ninety-two to ninety-five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give me a little insight on the queen. She's definitely the queen. Yeah. Um, for all the right reasons. Right. Um, it would take way too much time to tell you some of the ridiculously funny things that happened. <laughs> um, but Can you, you give know, it's one good story. Um, yeah, I'll give you two. So <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you how I got the gig, which was actually pretty funny. Um, I was in New York one Friday afternoon. Beautiful. A spring day out on my Harley, came in, listened to my messages, and there was a um, message from Andrew Holt. I don't know how this stuff wow. is out there. Andy yeah. Holt left wow. a message on the machine from Arista Records, 
and said, um, Aretha Franklin's playing the Colonial Theater in Boston tonight at 8 o'clock. We need a drummer to sight-read the gig. Can you make it? And I called him up. First, I thought it was a joke because I've had some <laughs> friends of mine play right, that right. Time, you know, Aretha Franklin <laughs> calling me. Yeah. So I called up, and sure enough, the guy picked up the phone at Arista Records, and I said, it's Jonathan Mover. I got your message. He said, oh, great. Can you make it? I said, yeah, I can make it, but I think you want Jonathan Moffat. He's the black R&B drummer that played with the Jacksons and Madonna. I'm the white rock drummer with head on my ass and a chain hanging from my nose to my ear. <laughs> and, and, and that's really what I said, you know, because I used to do that. And um, and he said, no, 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 we know who you are, you know, GTR, Satriani, and and uh, can you make it? I said, absolutely. So I grabbed um, my sticks only and hopped a flight up to Boston. And, and where were you at the time? In New York. In New York. And um, I got to the gig about 7.30, 7.40. And they were playing at eight. And, uh, <laughs> I, and it's you know, no big deal. It's just a rebuild. Yeah, you know. It's not a big deal. I mean, I, mean I, I knew most of her catalog anyway. Yeah. I right. mean, growing up in Peabody, aside from, you know, being in the basement playing to all of my favorite progressive rock records and all of that stuff, um, I used to play all the time to Aretha and James Brown. Wow. Never dreamed right. ever I'd get to play with either or. But, you know, I mean, how can you not play to that shit, you know? So I figured, I know most of her catalog. I'll I'll get through it. I can I can read. I can definitely read well. Um, And so I got to the gig, got the charts, the book. There were about 90 songs in the in the book. And they gave me the 20 that we were playing. And I pulled them all out. And I had my yellow Sharpie with me to make all of my little notes to where's the coda, where's the repeat, where's the horn line. And then about five minutes before, she nixed about ten songs and oh, ten new ones came in, which no. of course she did every night. But uh, it was great. I, I did the gig. Uh, three quarters of the way through, she gave me a solo. And I you know, did about 32 bars of whatever I did. Yeah. At the end of the song, she announced me and said, I have no idea who's on drums, but give him some, you know. <laughs> and, uh, she was really you know, quite funny about it. And after the gig, I walked up to her and... and I, <laughs> And I, yeah. I don't know who the fuck that guy is back there, yeah. but give him a hand, give him a hand, would you? She was very nice. And so I ran up to her and I said, uh, with my camera, I said, Ms. Franklin, I, I was your drummer tonight and would you mind taking a photo with me? Because I can honestly say if I never play again, my music player, uh, career has been completed tonight. Thank you so much. We took a photo and she said, I really like the way you play. Um, if I need you again, can I call you? I didn't think it was serious, but I said, yes, of course, you know, your, yeah, your yeah. tour manager has my number. So I, they put me on a bus uh, back home at 3 o'clock in the morning, which I wasn't very happy about. But, yeah, they flew me up and stuck me on a bus out of whatever your shit station in Boston is on Greyhound. And you were on a bus talking to somebody like this. I just played with a wreath. No, I was, yeah. I, I was on a bus like this. Don't anybody come near me. It was a little nasty. But anyway, I, you know, got back to New York. I was high as a kite. And a few weeks went by, I didn't hear anything, so I figured, okay, whatever, you know, I can at least say I played with Aretha. And then they, the tour manager called up and said, you did the last date of that leg, and Aretha liked your playing, she'd like to offer you the tour if you'd like to continue. And I did. So that was the initiation. So, well, that was my first gig. The initiation took a long time. Um, and I'm not going to get into a lot of that stuff, but let's just say that... You, you got know. hazed a lot? Well, yeah, the little, <laughs> took a while for the little white rocker to fit in. Uh, right? Um, I was just gonna say, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely the square peg. But, uh, Aretha used to tape the show, you know, all the time. And we would be on the bus the next day and she'd listen to it. And the woman has ears like a, like a hawk. I mean, any flat, sharp, speeding up, slowing down, missed a note, didn't read something she knew about it. She really was unbelievable. And, you know, there were funny moments and, and everything that went down, but there was, uh, we were playing Bridge Over Troubled Water, which if you've heard her version is just unbelievable. It's so beautiful and soulful and it's a slow ballad. And on the recording, I don't know if it's Roger Hawkins or Muscle Shoals or somebody, Bernard Purdy, but it goes to the middle breakdown and the drummer just hits the two and the four off of the bell of the cymbal yeah. for like 64 bars and Aretha just scats and does her thing. And so we're playing along and one night and we get to that part and I don't know what possessed me, but I ended up just turning, flipping the beat around and playing the twos and the fours off of the kick. And it was kind of like a slow ska reggae group. The musical 
director, the conductor, looked at me and turned white as a ghost, like, what the fuck are you doing? And whatever you're doing, stop doing it. But I come from the school of if, if you do something, you better follow through. Yeah, because you got to own it. Yeah, I got to yeah, own, yeah. own it. Gotta so own I owned it for all 64 bars. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> lots of lots of eyes, oh, lots yeah. of eyes, lots of scowls oh, coming your way. Absolutely. Well, I think the, we finished the gig and and the the vibe was, haha, you're going to get fired tomorrow. Yeah, you know, on the bus, that'll be your last bus ride. And this was after quite a few things that went down where I kind of couldn't do anything wrong. You know, <laughs> there were there were things that everybody thought she was going to beat me up for, where I would end up getting a compliment or something. You know, she just. She liked me, and I liked her too. Uh, the utmost respect for her. Um, and we were on the bus the next day, and we're driving along, and lots of big smiles, and, <laughs> and you know, playing one tune, and Aretha's listening, and she she hits stop, and one of the girls' background vocalists sang something wrong, and she, you know, berated her and went off. Kept on going, hit stop again because the bass player missed a note or whatever. And then Bridge Over Troubled Water Here comes up. And everybody, everybody's, everybody's waiting. Yeah. You can't wait to see you get your ass tore apart. Absolutely. Comes to the middle, beat turns around, Aretha pops her head up, slams the, you know, the tape player shut, and she says, uh, something to the effect of, what's going on there? What are you doing? And I kind of, you know, stammered and, was starting to say, well, uh, Miss Franklin, I was blah, 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 blah. And she basically said, I don't know what the hell you were doing, but that was so funky. Make sure you do it every night. No. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, so, everybody hated you. Yeah, well, that. That, 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 like, that was like the fifth incident that happened. And after that, everybody kind of said, okay, we're not going to get rid of him. And, and I became friends with everybody. That's so great. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great yeah. story. But I think, I think the icebreaker, to tell you the truth, was, well, I was the only one from uh, New York. Everybody else was from Detroit. And they only traveled by bus because Aretha um, is afraid to fly, take a boat, or, you know, a train long distance or anything like that. So and she doesn't do any no overseas yeah. stuff? I think a couple of things have happened, but for the most part, no. We were wow. just doing the same pockets all the time. Yep. And everybody knew that she wouldn't travel. It's kind of known in the industry. And so... You know, I asked a few people one day. I, I get on the bus. It's my first bus ride because, again, I'm from New York. And when they hired me, you know, they would go out and they'd do two or three shows and they'd have three or four days off and the whole band would stay out. And I said, I can't stay out and do nothing. I, I've got to fly back to New York to do sessions and jingles and stuff all the time. So they were really gracious at letting me be the one to go and do that. Right. So the first month of dates, I was never with them when they did their little bus rides. One day is my first day on the bus and, you know, we're getting out of wherever we were staying and we've got like a five or six hour drive and we get on the bus and there's a bunch of banquettes on one side of the bus and then there's a giant couch on the other and everybody's sitting in the banquettes. So I get on and I sit on the couch and they look at me <laughs> and they say, that's Aretha's couch. You better get to the back of the bus, you know, get out of there. And I looked right, I looked left, there's about 15 feet on either side, you know. And I said, um, I, I think the couch is big enough for both of us. I mean, <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. And I said, okay, well, when Aretha comes on the bus, I'll move. And then I started chatting and I said, you know, what's the deal? Why doesn't Aretha fly? Why aren't we going to, you know, London? We we got offered like a month at, at the Royal Albert Hall. We got, you know, offered like two weeks in Vegas and she wouldn't do it. And everybody said, you don't talk about that, you know, just, I like, just, just shut up, okay, and just play drums. <laughs> All right. So, you know, five minutes later, Miss Franklin's walking on the bus, and as she gets on the bus, I get up and I start to move. And she says, uh, Jonathan, where are you going? Have a seat. Oh my God. So she sits down next to me, you know, lights up her smoke, and says, um, are you enjoying, you know, the gig? And I said, oh, Miss Franklin, uh, no, call me Aretha. I said, Miss Franklin, this is amazing. Um, you know, you're the second female, my second favorite female singer from Detroit that I've worked with. And she said, oh, really? And who's the first? I said, Alice Cooper. And she fucking cracked up. <laughs> you know, we had a ball. We're st starting <laughs> to talk. Great. And then I said, um, if you don't mind me asking, why are you afraid to fly? And the whole bus is like <laughs> slow motion. Like everything went, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, you know, everybody thought I was going to get thrown out. And she said, uh, I had a dream that, you know, if I traveled too far away from home, something like that, if I went long distance, that I was going to get into an accident and die. That's simple. 
And I think, you know, because I wasn't afraid of losing the gig every day, that I would talk to her and she would talk to me and we had a nice rapport and that was it. Wow. Yeah, she was a blast. But I'll tell you, every night on stage with her, you know, I don't believe in God, yeah. but boy, was I thanking somebody. I mean, right. I used I'll to tell just you what, sit the, there and There's a voice of God, and that's... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just to have that gig was yes. beyond a dream come true for me. It really was. And to play those songs with her, yeah. you know? I mean, it's not like you're playing covers. Yeah. Was like, you know, I was playing you're really right steady shit. with Aretha. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah, I, yeah, it was amazing. It really was. And I, I blew it. Um, yeah, you know, you make decisions. It was the, Satriani had called me back to do a record in 95 and, um, I was busy with her and I was doing some other things too. And I had a solo project that I was working on. So I passed on the record and he did a record with one of my favorite drummers, Mano Keche. And, um, but that band that did the record wasn't going to tour and Joe kept on calling, let's go back out, let's go back out. And so I said, okay. And we had like 10 months booked. It was a big tour and, you know, good money, the whole deal. And then Aretha called up and said, uh, well, not her, but her tour manager and said, you know, these are the dates for the next leg. Excuse me. And I said, um, oh, great. Um, I can do everything but the last three because I'm starting Satriani. And he said, um, okay, I'll get back to you. And they called back and said, Aretha would like one guy to do the whole thing. If we can't find one guy, we'll use you up until the la- you know the third last date, and then we'll swap out. And actually, ended up getting Bernard Purdy. He went back out with her for a while, and they never called me again. Wow! So, they couldn't get anybody good, huh? huh? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after me, come on. Right. Yeah. But it was a coveted gig. Absolutely amazing. That's so incredible. Wow, yeah. Great thing. Yeah. I, I saw her when I was, I want to say, ten years old. At a at a uh, in Lane at the Lane County Fair in Eugene, Oregon, mm-hmm. and it was a oh you flew all the way for her. But I, flew, for <laughs> I flew out to Oregon to see her. Same. I just ha- I just happened to be in Portland when you guys were there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I went with my mom. With my mom, she was which I give her and my dad, you know, all the credit in the world for any kind of musical taste that I ended up with, mm-hmm. you know, because they were both had incredible taste in music. Mm-hmm. And so my mom brought me to see Aretha Franklin. It was a dollar. Wow. It was a buck. What? At the Lane County Fair. A buck. Yeah. One dollar. We did a couple of those. Play One a dollar. dollar see Satriani on the back, on the back of a flatbed. Flatbed, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that was when we all looked at each other and said, really? Is this where we've arrived? Yeah. You know? Spoiled Yeah. And there were two shows. I went to the day show and then, then my mom drove me. We all lived in Roseburg, Oregon. So it was an hour away. She drove me back to Roseburg and then she, I got a sitter and she went, then she got all gussied up and went back out for the night show. Wow. And then she, my mom got baked with her. Really? She ran into, her, she ran into her in the bathroom. Aretha never smoked with me. Yeah, <laughs> she did that night. <laughs> my mom ran into her in the bathroom and then they got baked. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I did not say that for anybody who was listening to me. I did not say that Aretha Franklin <laughs> smokes dope. Because she doesn't. Never. Not to my. I don't know that she smoked cigarettes. That's crazy. Oh, chain smoker. Listen to me. That's so crazy. To me that she had that voice and it didn't. Oh yeah. Like you know what? I know I never smoked, but I I know people that when they're singing, and they quit smoking, they they get a bit more range. It gets a little mm-hmm. clearer, but they get a bit more range yeah. and control to that. How much more range would she have? Had oh yeah. For God seriously, knows. right? Yeah. Like I like, that just surprised me when you said she smoked. I was like, what? Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't even imagine that. All the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. You've had an awesome career. Mm, that was definitely a highlight. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better note to wrap up this yeah, podcast on. Thank you so much for oh, coming you're and ch- uh, chatting with us. so great. My pleasure. And thank you for the present. You're welcome. Yeah. It's my pleasure. I'm going to go unwrap it right now. I'm here for you. Anytime. Anybody that wants to check out Jonathan Mover, jonathanmover.com. Which hasn't been updated in about 10 years, but I will get around to it. Uh, eventually. Yeah. One of these days. Yeah. Drumsmover.com and uh, you can check out Drumhead Magazine and mm-hmm. the, what's their website? Drumheadmag.com. Drumheadmag.com. Oh, and the new the new facility in LA. I moved oh. my studio to Los Angeles. Oh, Sky Skyline. Well, Skyline is now Swing House in Atwater in LA, okay. and it's a massive recording studio, state of the art, all of my gear from New York. Um, eight producer suites, 
four sound stages, SIR size, massive backline rental company, and lots more. So swinghouse.com. Beautiful. Let's yeah. make a record. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do it. You have Pro Tools right here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you need? Well, you guys would do all the, the stuff out there, and then I'll just pass the vocals mm-hmm. over to you. Definitely. Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for the invite. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I Me hope too. we can do it again sometime when you're in the area. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on the Ridiculous Nicholas Podcast. Once again, this episode of the Ridiculous Nicholas Podcast is brought to you by Pizza 911. What is your pizza emergency? Voted Best Pizza in Manchester by the Hippo Press. If you mention you heard about Pizza 911 on the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast, they will give you some free breadsticks. Their phone number is 603-625-2201. Call them up and order some food right now. Also, we are brought to you by Team Link. Team Link hooks at New Hampshire. Uh, if you want to go train somewhere where there's a lot of really knowledgeable people, and not a lot of meatheads that are going to try and hurt you, um, go check out Team Link of Hookset. Um, if you mention that you heard about them on the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast, they will give you three, 30 free days, not three, 30 free days of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts, kickboxing, whatever it is that you want to study. And they'll also give you a free t-shirt. So head on down there and look for Ed Carr. He's the owner. He's a great guy. And he really knows his stuff. You can give them a call, too, at 603-641-3444. Thank you so much for listening to the Ridiculous Nicholas podcast, and we'll see you next week.